Okay. If you have your Bible or iPad or smartphone or whatever, turn to Luke chapter 4. We are in the midst of a teaching series entitled Jesus Unexpected. In this series, we are walking through the book of Luke, which is a well-researched eyewitness account of Jesus' life and ministry. And in this book, we are seeking to discover or rediscover who Jesus really is. Because when you see him for who he really is, it is life-changing. And so today we come to one of the most significant passages in the book of Luke, because in this passage, Jesus, for the first time, goes public with his mission, with his job description, and his homies don't respond very well. It's pretty radical stuff, not only for them, but also for us. If we don't understand the mission of Jesus, we will miss out on so much of what he wants to do in our lives. So let me read, beginning in Luke chapter 4, verse 16. Jesus went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. Now, in a Jewish synagogue service, a rabbi would stand up and read a portion of the Old Testament. And then the rabbi would sit down and offer a sermon while everyone else stood. I think that's a great idea. You guys stand, I'll sit down for a while. Okay, so Jesus takes the scroll from the prophet Isaiah and he finds chapter 61, which is a passage talking about the the ministry that the Messiah, what, what that ministry would look like. And so he reads this portion, this messianic portion, and then he sits down to offer the sermon. And this is where it gets really interesting because he offers an incredibly short sermon, one sentence long. And yet it is a sentence that explodes with significance. Having just read from Isaiah and and having sat down to teach with every eye focused on him, Jesus says this, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That one sentence changes everything. I mean, their hometown boy, Jesus, is declaring that this scripture that he just read from Isaiah points to him. He is the one this scripture is talking about. He is the one who has been anointed by the Spirit for this mission that he describes here. So what is this mission? What is the unique mission that the Messiah is supposed to accomplish in this broken world of ours. Well, what is it that this world needs from a Messiah? That's a great question. 
A lot of people today place their hope. They think what the world needs is that their hope is in science or technology, that, that maybe medical advances will enable us to extend our lives another hundred years or whatever. Other people's hope for society is in government, that if we just get the right people in office, if we just get the right Supreme Court decisions, if we, we just get you know, the right peace treaties in place, that will fix what's broken in our society. Now, while these hopes are certainly noble, history has shown that they don't deliver. I mean, think about this. We have more technological and medical advancements in the last 20 years than in the history of humanity. Does it make us any happier? Are people getting along better? Are people more satisfied and joy-filled? No. Addictions are increasing Suicides are increasing. Violence is increasing. This world is a mess. And things are not getting any better. So what does this Messiah have to offer us that will provide a real solution to humanity's problems? Well, the answer to that is found in a critically important word that Jesus quotes and uses here. It's a word that's used fairly often in church and in religious circles, but it's rarely understood. And that's tragic because it is the hope for real solutions, real transformation in our society, in our own personal lives. This one word is our hope. What's the word? Gospel. Gospel. Jesus says here, the spirit of the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good News. That phrase, good news, is literally the word gospel. The gospel is the good news that even though we were lost in, a, in sin and rebellion against God, totally deserving of his holy judgment, he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross in our place. Jesus took our sin upon himself so that we could have our sins forgiven and enter into an eternal relationship with God. That's the gospel. It is incredible news. We as humans were without hope, separated from God, unable to bridge this chasm of eternal, this, this chasm, the eternal chasm of holiness. But God loved us so much that he came and he paved a way through Jesus, his son and Messiah. The gospel is the hope of the world. Now here's the problem. For many followers of Jesus, our gospel is too small. Our gospel is too small. For many of us, our gospel is too small. For many of us here, we, we think of the gospel as our ticket to heaven. As I'm describing the gospel, yeah, 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 I already know that. Right? We're thinking the gospel is our ticket to heaven. It's sort of the starting line of our faith. But now we feel like we've already got that, that elementary stuff, right? Now we move on. We graduated from gospel class. We move on to more sophisticated spiritual stuff. But what Jesus declares here is that that understanding of the gospel is totally inadequate. That understanding of the gospel just being the starting line is totally inadequate. This gospel is not just a way into a relationship with God. The gospel is the key to us experiencing continual and radical transformation in our lives. And Jesus describes here what this transformation looks like. In this passage, he lists three specific ways the gospel can significantly impact our everyday lives. First, 
He tells us that the gospel brings freedom. The gospel brings freedom. Verse 18. He has sent me, the Holy Spirit has anointed me and sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. You see, every human being longs for freedom. The problem is we don't know how to get there. See, what our society tells us is that freedom is found in removing all moral constraints. No one telling me what to do. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just following my desires wherever they lead. We're free to do whatever we want to do. No constraints, no rules. That's what society says freedom looks like. Now, while that initially sounds appealing, reality tells us that that kind of freedom actually results in bondage. When we remove moral constraints, we don't become more free. We become less so. For instance, just an analogy here, if we decided to remove all traffic lights so that people would be free to drive however they want to drive, would that result in greater freedom? No, it would make driving a frightening and deadly experience. See, the, the constraints enable us to drive freely. When we adopt the idea that freedom means throwing off any moral constraints, we actually lose our freedom. Case in point, addiction. Addictions. I mean, just look at the ever-growing list of addictions and the impact of addictions today. We are addicted to drugs, prescription drugs, non-prescription drugs, to alcohol, to gambling, to pornography, to shopping, to the approval of others, to performance, to work, to dozens of other things. And here's the question. Why are we so prone to addiction? In a free society like ours, why are we so prone to addiction? In a society where we have more knowledge, we have more creature comforts, we have more free time, we have more technology, we have more money, we have more adventure opportunities than any previous generation, why are we so vulnerable to addiction? It's because our pursuit of freedom doesn't satisfy. So we keep looking for more. We become captive to our own desire for freedom. That's what's happening. So what's the solution? The gospel. The gospel. See, the gospel has the power to free us from these compulsions. How? Through the power of grace. Through the power of grace. See, grace is undeserved Favor. It is, it, is, it is to be blessed and favored by God when we don't deserve it. Jesus alludes in this passage, he alludes to this amazing picture of grace in this passage when he says in verse 19 that part of his mission is to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What, is that, what does that mean? What is he talking about? This is, this is so cool. He's referring to something that, known as the year of Jubilee. In Leviticus chapter 25, God declared that every 50 years in Israel, it would be a year of jubilee. And in that year of jubilee, all debts would be canceled and all slaves would be freed. Now imagine that. Your mortgage, completely taken care of. Your car loan, gone. 
Your student loan wiped off the books. During this one year, all your debts canceled. That would be amazing. Can I have an amen there, right? That would be amazing. Now, now what Jesus declares in the, is that this Old Testament law of Jubilee, this Old Testament idea of Jubilee, that that, that, that that idea was actually pointing towards something greater. It was pointing toward a spiritual reality, a spiritual Jubilee in which all of our spiritual debts, i.e. our sins, our failures, our mistakes, our brokenness, all of those are paid for. They are wiped out completely. See, Jesus is saying, hey, because of me, this jubilee thing isn't simply a once every 50 year phenomenon. It is a permanent reality in the gospel (laughs) That, 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 that you can live continually in the favor of the Lord. That you can live continually in the reality that he loves you. He is for you. He has forgiven your sin. There there is no barrier between you and God. There is no condemnation. Every day is jubilee for us in Jesus. Every day is jubilee in Jesus. Now, here's the irony. <laughs> this kind of talk makes, makes all sorts of Christians nervous. Here's what, so, here, here's what happens. We instinctively think, hold it now, to offer that kind of unconditional mercy and forgiveness, that's just going to encourage people to sin more. No, 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 no. That's not the way it works. <laughs> if, let me just ask, if someone paid, you're going to college, right? And so, if you're going to college, and someone paid, your entire, paid for your entire college degree, Would that make you want to squander your life? Or would that make you, would that fill you with such gratitude that you would want to use this education to make a difference in the world? See, the the reality of our debt being paid and our sins being forgiven in Jesus. When that reality grips our soul, we want to follow him. <laughs> our shame is gone. You know, the, the shame that so often drives our addictions, our soul is now satisfied in his amazing love. This is how the gospel enables us to walk in freedom. It is not about trying harder. Trying harder just leads to legalism. Fear-based obedience. It's not about trying harder. It's about experiencing a love that truly satisfies our soul. When we live in that love, all these other desires around us that want to steal our freedom, all those other desires take a back seat to Jesus. His love releases us to walk in genuine freedom, aligning our lives with his purposes. I know what addiction feels like. I know what it feels like to have some sinful pleasure take more and more control of my life. It is not fun. It is scary. Because while I know it's destroying me, I still want more. I'm freely choosing captivity. That's not freedom. It's hell. But I also know what it's like to be so in love with Jesus. 
so grateful for what he has done for me and for his grace in my life that my heart wants to follow him. And I choose that path. I walk in freedom. It's the most, most awesome experience in the world. The gospel enables us to walk in genuine freedom. That's what Jesus the Messiah offers us. Secondly, Jesus tells us that this gospel he's proclaiming, this job description of the Messiah, the gospel brings healing. Healing, not just freedom, but healing. Verse 18, he has sent me to proclaim recovery of sight to the blind. Now this is also Jesus' mission, bringing healing to people. Luke vividly and frequently describes Jesus healing people of various diseases and afflictions and infirmities. In fact, we're going to be focusing on Jesus' healing ministry in two weeks when we get to um, a passage later in Luke 4 and also one in Luke 5. We're going to look at both those together. But this healing being talked about here in, 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 in the passage we're looking at today, it's not just physical healing. In the, in the Isaiah 61 passage that Jesus is quoting, there, there's a phrase that isn't included in some versions of Luke's account, but it is found in Isaiah 61. And as such, because it's in Isaiah 61, as such, it represents the ministry of the Messiah. Here's the phrase, Isaiah 61, verse 1. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. To bind up the brokenhearted. I love that. The gospel has the power to heal our broken hearts, to heal our shame, to heal our insecurities, to heal our fears. How? Through the power of perfect love. In the gospel, we can know that Jesus loves us and is with us. We can know that nothing can separate us from that. I mean, that, that truth can radically impact our lives. See, often what happens when we, when, uh, what happens when we experience hurts, heart hurts, is that we start to believe lies. When our hearts get wounded, so often what happens, and this is at children or adults or whatever, we start to believe lies. No one loves me. I'll never amount to anything. I'm on my own in this life. I only have value for what I do. I must have people's approval in order to uh, feel good about myself or whatever. And these lies, these are all lies, but they take root in our woundedness. They take root in our soul. And they start influencing how we live. We become insecure or we become driven or angry or critical people. So what do we need for healing there? Well, what we need is the truth. And this is where Luke 4 comes in. We need the recovery of sight that Jesus brings, right? We need the truth so that we see, we need recovery of sight. So our eyes are open to see and embrace the truth about who he is and the truth about what he has done and at the cross and the truth about how that impacts us and our identity in him, that he is with us and he loves us. We are forgiven all of those things. We need our eyes opened because when our eyes are open to those truths, and the spirit begins to take those truths and, and settle them into our soul. Healing happens. We, our, our, our wounded hearts are bound up in his love. So that this can happen, obviously, through the word. 
where we hear truth and through teaching, it can happen through the ministry of the Spirit. It can be assisted by some of the prayer ministries we have around here or effective biblical counseling. I mean, how awesome to know that the gospel can bring healing to our broken hearts, can bring healing to our shame, can bring healing to our insecurity and our fear. It's amazing. This gospel is amazing. So now again, it's not just the first step. It's all of life. It's powerful. But there's more. Not only does the gospel bring freedom and healing, it also brings purpose. The gospel brings purpose. So many people today are living without any purpose in their lives, wondering, is this it? I mean, is this what life is all about? And of course, the irony is, the more we just live for ourselves, the emptier, emptier our lives begin to feel, right? The more we just live for ourselves, the emptier our lives begin to feel. So look with me at the, at the end of verse 18. This is fascinating. I just learned this, okay, as I was studying this past week. So look where Jesus says that part of his mission is to set the oppressed free. Now, this sounds very familiar, sounds very similar to releasing the captives. And I've always thought, oh, these are saying the same thing, but it's not. This word's translated set, set the captives, or, or, or set the oppressed free. This word translated set is actually the same word Jesus uses earlier in this verse. But in that line, it's translated sent. Sent. He has sent me to proclaim freedom. That's the same word. And the word translated oppressed is literally the word bruised. It speaks of brokenness. So when you put these things together, we discover what's actually being said here. Jesus is declaring that one of the results of this gospel is that the bruised and broken are sent out. The bruised and the broken are sent out. In other words, we who have experienced the mercy and the grace and the healing of the gospel, meeting us in our brokenness, we are then sent out by Jesus to be instruments of that same gospel to others, which is awesome, right? The gospel gives us purpose to to bring love and hope to people, to give our lives to serve others gives us purpose. This aspect of the gospel is so important. And we so easily lose sight of it. This is what, one of the reasons I think that so many believers, if you talk to believers who walk with the Lord for decades, for a long time, and, and you know, a lot of times, many believers who walk with the Lord for a while get bored with church. And they get bored with Christianity after several years. I think this is what sometimes happens in that scenario. It's because they've only been focused on the parts of the gospel that impact them. But they haven't been intentionally engaged in bringing that to others. It's like a swamp. If the water is only coming in, never going out, it just becomes this swamp. Over the years, over the years, I've heard people say various times, oh, I left that church or I left that youth group because I just wasn't getting enough meat. In other words, I want to go deeper in the Bible. I want to go deeper in Bible study. Now, I'm all for going deeper. I'm all for going deeper in the Bible. But here's a thought. What if the meat is not about gaining more Bible information? What if the meat is in applying what we already know? What if the meat is found in serving others? in giving our lives away for others, in shifting from a feed me mentality of church 
to a, how can I be used here to serve and minister to others? As Pastor John Wimber used to say, the meat is in the street. When people would come to him, yeah, there's not enough meat here. The meat's in the street. It's in loving our neighbors. It's an offering to pray for a coworker who's struggling. It's being a kid's hope tutor. It's mentoring a, a younger believer than you are and pouring your life, all of your experience, you're, you're mentoring them. It's, it's teaching a class at the Global Refugee Center. It's bringing a meal to a gay neighbor who has just had surgery. It, it's giving of our time and our gifts to mentor a young believer or whatever. The gospel meets us in our brokenness, right? The gospel meets us in our brokenness. It fills us with Jesus and then... It sends us out to a hurting world. The broken and bruised get sent out to bring the gospel to others. The gospel Jesus is proclaiming here gives us a purpose that becomes way more, becomes more fun and more energizing over the years rather than less. It becomes more engaging. So if, you, if your Christian experience is becoming boring, if you're losing interest in church, thinking that what you need is more meat, I would urge you to look at how you're investing your life. Is it all about you, your comfort, your convenience, your free time? Or are you giving of your time, your talent, your treasures, your experiences, giving of those things to bless others? Because see, that's where life and joy are found. In, in shifting our hearts from a me focus to an other person focus. Again, when, when we see how Jesus laid down his life for us, I mean, when we get that, it moves us to want to give our lives to serve others. Okay, so all the stuff we've been talking about, freedom and healing and, and purpose, all of it is found in the gospel. I mean, the gospel is so much more than our ticket to heaven. It is an infusion of God's power in our lives, enabling us to experience freedom and, and healing and, and purpose. So let me just ask, are you and I experiencing that gospel? Where, where do you long for freedom in your life? Is there some unhealthy behavior that's eating your lunch? Is there some fear that's crippling you? The gospel offers you freedom. Or what about healing? Well, what is your pain, your, your, your heart wound, your shame? Where do you long for the, for the healing of the gospel? Or what about purpose? Do you feel aimless, insignificant, empty, bored? The gospel offers you a significant purpose in life. Are you and I experiencing the fullness of this gospel? that Jesus is proclaiming. If not, how do we, how do we embrace it more fully? Well, Jesus tells us, tells us, this is so important. He tells us here, he says in verse 18, look again at this. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. This word poor, literally, you can check this out for yourself. It literally means begging Poor. There were, there were a couple of different words that could be used for poor. This means begging poor, not just lower income. This is someone who has nothing. 
And it certainly includes those in financial poverty, but it is more than that. The gospel is for those who realize how desperately needy they are. See, this is how a person initially embraces the gospel, right? By admitting their sinfulness and trusting Jesus. But it's also how all of us continually live in the freedom and healing and purpose of the gospel. It's by always being aware of our need and looking to Jesus. We never outgrow that. It's, It's by acknowledging that apart from him, we can do nothing. We can do nothing apart from him. As I heard one pastor say recently, all you need is need. (laughs) All you need is need. It's not about trying to clean up your life. It's not about trying to get better. No, no, no. The gospel is about admitting how needy, how inadequate you are and I am. And then choosing to let Jesus become your sufficiency, your adequacy, your savior. In that moment, choosing him. So don't be afraid of your brokenness. Embrace it and invite Jesus into those places of brokenness. That's where the gospel is experienced. Now, sadly, and we don't have a lot of time to go here. We don't have time to really look at this in detail. But sadly, if you keep reading in this passage, you see that the people in Jesus' hometown, they're initially really excited about Jesus and pleased with him, but then they turn against him. They want to kill him. They don't see themselves as being needy. They see themselves as being deserving of the gospel. And in doing so, they actually miss it. They miss him. They miss all that the Messiah wanted to do and to bring into their lives. And the same thing can be true for any of us here. No matter how long we've been attending church, no matter how many degrees we have, no matter how many Bible verses we know and memorize or whatever, any and all of us here can miss Jesus. How? By missing the gospel. By missing the gospel. By focusing on our own adequacy and sufficiency and gifting and effort rather than acknowledging how spiritually poor we are. But when we acknowledge our brokenness and then we look to this amazing Messiah, this amazing Savior named Jesus, when we do that, we can experience his freedom We can experience his healing. We can experience his purpose. I mean, the gospel really is good news. It really is. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, would you come? We we know that you are here and you've been speaking. And there are some of us here, you're speaking, we don't even realize it's you. Some of us here, maybe this is all new to us, but you're speaking and we want to respond to that truth. We need you. Holy Spirit, we acknowledge you were the one that anointed, according to this verse, anointed Jesus to be about this ministry. And we welcome you now, Holy Spirit, to come and do this gospel work in our hearts, this work of Jesus. So there are some of us here, We long for freedom. Some of us here, you know, you're you're caught in some, in captivity in some way to people's opinion of you, to some behavior. 
Are you willing to acknowledge your need for Jesus' love and forgiveness and power to come and to fill you? Because when you look to him, he reminds you he purchased our jubilee. Right? We are freed. Our debts are forgiven. Our sins are forgiven completely. So, Lord, oh Lord I want to just pray right now for those who are longing for greater freedom. And I pray they would, they would not look to the old path of trying harder and promises and all that. I pray there would be an infusion of power in this new path of acknowledging and opening their heart and experiencing the depth of your love for them. This jubilee reality that you have paid their debt in full. And that they would live in the reality of what you've done. So I pray that for all of us, just help us grow in freedom, walking in freedom as we walk in your love. Give us a greater desire for you than for these other things that pull at us. There are some here, Lord, I know many of us here just need healing in our hearts of shame and insecurity, fear. Just pray, Holy Spirit, you would pour out the love of Jesus here. You know, you know what's going on in people's hearts. Just bring healing. Open, as we open these doors of our hearts where pain and woundedness in our past, we open that to you and say, Jesus, would you come into this place? Would you expose the lies I've been believing? Give me recovery of sight to see the lies I'm believing. I pray for that. There are some of us here that lies have been, for years, we've been in bondage to lies that we believed, that we're on our own, no one cares about us. All these lies that, we, that we're not lovable. I pray you'd expose those lies and you would bring healing. We renounce those, bring healing. Open our eyes to see the truth of who you are. And I want to pray for purpose as well, Lord. Some of us here, we, we, we just acknowledge we're kind of bored. And maybe the reason we're bored is because we've become self focused. Just feed me. We want more information when we haven't really been applying the things we know, this loving your neighbor stuff. And so I pray you would help us turn our hearts outward to the street to do what you've called us to do. So I pray for that, Lord, for for all of us to grow in our sense of purpose. And we thank you for this amazing gospel that provides these continually. Help us to live in these realities, Lord, as we acknowledge how needy we are. We are needy. We need you. Fill us, Holy Spirit. Now, there are some of you here, and you can just keep your head bowed for a moment. I want to give another invitation. There are some of you here, and this is the moment for you. I believe God is inviting you into a relationship with him based on the gospel. There are some of you here, and you thought having a relationship with God was about trying hard to be a good person. Try to go to church when you can. Try to be a nice person. That's not it. The gospel says you and I couldn't get to God on our own, so he came to us in the person of Jesus. Jesus died on the cross in your place. And there are some of you here, 
And what you need right now is just to receive this gift that Jesus has already paid for. So if that's you, if you are uncertain of whether you have a relationship with God, but you know you want a relationship with God, and some of you here, you have believed this lie that you could never enter into a relationship because your life's too messed up, you've given into too much sin or whatever. That is just all lies. We're all sinners. Jesus paid for all of our sin. And if you look to Jesus right now, he will forgive you. He will cancel your debt forever. And you'll enter into a relationship with him. So if that's you, I invite you to pray along with me in the silence of your heart. Just pray this prayer as you open your heart to receive him. Dear God, I acknowledge that you are holy and I'm not. And I acknowledge that I'm separated from you because of that. And I can't do anything to bridge this gap. But you came to me. You sent your son Jesus to die on a cross in my place. You took the penalty I should have taken. You paid the judgment I should have paid for my sin. Amazing. And Jesus, I... I, I choose right now to place my trust in you. I bring to you my failures and my sins and my faults and, the, and my brokenness. I just bring it all to you. I bring you all my inadequacy and I place my trust in your adequacy, your sufficiency. Forgive my sin, past, present, and future, all of it. And now come live in me through the presence of your spirit. Change me from the inside out through the power of your love. God, I want to pray for anyone who prayed that prayer. I pray for anyone who prayed that prayer. I pray they would grow in their relationship with you, Lord. They would grow in their relationship with you to know how much you love them (laughs) and that your love would be changing them. Thank you that they're here today in this body. I just pray you'd continue to grow them in you. And I pray for all of us to grow in our experience of your love as we open our heart to your amazing love. So church, we have an awesome opportunity to do that um, in our service here by partaking of the Lord's Supper. It's a tangible way for us to be reminded of this gospel that is transforming us. So the way it's going to work, whatever campus you're at, it's fine. We're going to do it the same way at whatever campus. But the way this is going to work is in just a moment, the worship team is going to begin leading us in, in a few songs. There'll be this, this um, uh, space for worship. And in the midst of that, at any point during that time, you can go to one of the tables that is around the room. And as you go to a table, you just pull off a little piece of bread from the, the loaf and then dip it in the cup. And then you can partake right there. You can go back to your seat if you wanted to partake. But that's the way it'll work. When you feel ready to do that at any time during the worship, do that. So why don't we stand? Let's all stand. If you're able to stand, if you want to sit down at some point, that's totally fine. But let's begin standing. And let me just pray for us. Lord, thank you, Jesus, for the bread and the juice here that represent your body and your blood given for us. And I pray for us as we go to a table And we partake of this, that it would just be a tangible way of our soul being reminded of and opening our hearts afresh to this truth of how loved we are in you. 
that you are with us, you are for us. This is jubilee permanently because of your death and resurrection. We're so grateful. What an amazing Savior you are. Set us free to worship you now, which you deserve. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, thank you.